0: Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Come on, let's take the Bible attendance. We got a good message in front of us. I got a lot of material. I'm going to try to get us out of here uh, within three or four hours. Um, <laughs> And if I could do it sooner, I I promise I will, okay? So let's hold them up. Let's do like we always do. Let's make this Bible declaration loud and proud. Let's say it. Ready, together, read. This is my Bible. It is God's word written to me. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. So I receive it as truth for my life today and open my heart to hear God speak a word and fill me with the Holy Spirit so that my life will be changed forever. In Jesus name, amen. How do I know that God will bring his promises to pass for me? Have you ever been reading your Bible and you sense God speaking to you, highlighting a promise, telling you it was true, but somewhere in your mind you questioned its reality for you? Come on, we all have, haven't we? If you're human, you have. I know that I have. Let me just remind you in Numbers 23, 19, the Bible says, That God is not a man that he should lie. Nor is he a son of man, an offspring of humanity that he should change his mind. And then it goes on and it says, Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? That's in the scriptures. And the writer in Numbers there is trying to get us to remember that God is faithful to keep his word. And when God makes a promise to you or when God shows you a blessing that he wants to bring to pass in your life and you catch it in God's heart, he means for you to lay hold of that, to believe it and to trust him. To bring it to pass. In your life. Did you know that one of the things. That pleases the father. Most. Is when you and I. Believe him. In Hebrews chapter 11. It says. Without faith. It is impossible. To please God. For he who comes to God. Must believe that he is, listen, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I think that's in Hebrews 11, 6 or so. So let me pose this question with those things in mind. What if there was a way that no matter what God promised you, and no matter how impossible the promise looked, you could 100% take God at His word and see the promise come to pass. Would you want to know how? Yes, we all would. And that's why we're starting a new series today, and the title of the series is Under Contract. Say that with me. Under contract. It's possible that a lot of Christians have never even taken time to consider the fact that they are under contract. And we'll talk more about that as this unfolds. The subtitle of the series is important. Understanding the covenant we have with God through Christ. So we're going to take our time starting today and next Sunday and we're going to lay some solid foundation so that we can get a strong start on this study. We're going to discover or for some of us rediscover a Bible-based understanding of what it means to be in a covenant with God and how our covenant with God through Christ impacts our everyday living as well as our eternity with him. And I've got two resources that I want to highlight as we're getting started. The first one is this study guide that we made. So I hope everybody got one of these. We go through a lot of work to make these. Got, got all the the main verses in here, plus a whole bunch more. It's going to have all the points that we're going to cover. It's got questions. There's even a section in here for those disciples, those followers that want to go deeper and wouldn't mind having someone lovingly hold them accountable to do so, to check in with them and see how they're doing. So this has got your first four weeks. My intention is, our intention is that you can take this home and on your own, you can go deeper. You can study this out because we can't cover it all today. Well, if we did a three hour service, we could but we can't do that all in 40 or 45 minutes. So that's the first resource. The second resource that we want to introduce to the church is this book by Pastor Jerry Dearman, And this is Gil's brother. He's a pastor in California. He has a thriving church called The Rock with numerous campuses. And he wrote a book called God Swears to Keep His Promises. And it's historically rich in content. Uh, Pastor Gills read it. I just started reading it. He believes that it's probably the best book he's ever read on our blood covenant through Christ. And so this is not a book that we're going to be taking chapter by chapter and teaching from. But it's a great supplement to this lesson that we're going to start going down here on Sunday mornings. I encourage you, get it. I've read the first two chapters, eye-opening, powerful, reassuring, faith building. We're offering them for $13. If you want one, send me a text or give me a note or something. I've got some down on Artiga K campus and I want to bring them to you. If you're watching by Facebook and you want one of those books, come on, send me a text. Let me know. Send me an email. Let us know. I can get you some here to the campus. I promise it will be worth the investment. Sometimes we got to invest in our relationship with God, right? We can't just lean back and hope God just does everything for us. We've got to lean in a little bit. So let's go today to Ephesians chapter two. See if we can get some traction here. I don't know how much we're going to cover, but we'll we'll get some traction. Ephesians chapter two, and I'm going to read 11 through 13, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to kind of look at line by line, and kind of further some understanding, and that'll be a springboard for today. Now, I want to tell you, if you haven't read the book of Ephesians in its entirety, I want to encourage you to do that. It's six chapters, and it's broken up in two parts. Amazing. First three chapters, part one, is all about your position in Christ, who you are in Christ, and the second part, chapters four through six, is really about your practice, how you live, because of who you are in Christ. So just want to encourage you, Paul in Ephesians 2, 11, he's going to kind of pick up on this frame of thought. He's been telling them and encouraging the church in Ephesus about who they are in Christ and what Christ has done for them. They were dead and now they've been made alive and they've been quickened and they've been raised up and they're seated and now they're the workmanship of God in Christ Jesus. And then he picks up kind of in that frame of mind in verse 11 and he says, therefore, remember. that at one time you Gentiles, non-Jewish people in the flesh, called the uncircumcision. This is what you were called because you didn't have a covenant relationship with God. By what is called the circumcision, Those are people who had a covenant relationship with God through circumcision. We'll talk more about that later. But it was a mark that identified people who had a covenant relationship with God. Which is made in the flesh by hands. Verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. And strangers to the covenants of promise. Having no hope and without God in the world. The title of today's lesson is this, No Longer Strangers to the Covenant. Say covenant, right? And here's a subtitle that I'm giving it. I'm on the inside, not on the outside, Come on, say that with me. I'm on the inside, not on the outside. Let me just tell you a little bit real quick about this word covenant. Just quickly, uh, a covenant in the New Testament is the Greek word diathake. In In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word berit. But this is the definition. A covenant is a contract, a pledge, a treaty, or an agreement. And this is one of the most theologically important words in the Bible, appearing more than 250 times just in the Old Testament. And a covenant may be made between individuals, between a king and his people, or by God and his people. And that's really the focus of our study. If you look at the Old Testament, you'll come across five Old Testament covenants. In the text, we read that these people who are now saved, at one time they were strangers to the covenants of promise, referring to Old Testament covenants that God made. He made one with Noah. He made a covenant with Abraham. He made a covenant with David. He made a covenant through, through the law of Moses, the Mosaic covenant. And then in Jeremiah, he kind of prophetically prophesied and foretold of a new covenant That we would be experiencing in the New Testament under the grace of God. So covenant is a big deal in the Bible. And most of the time we read our Bibles and we don't realize that this is written from an Eastern viewpoint. And it's written in covenant understanding. As a matter of fact, it's broken down in two covenants. Old covenant and new covenant. We call it testament, but it's the same word synonymously. It's covenant. Now look at Ephesians 2.11 again. It says, therefore, remember, say remember, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh outside of the covenant with God at one time, remember at one time you were not with God. Even though you're a Christian now, for us, this is how it would apply, you're not so saved that you can't remember what it was like to not be in a relationship with God. Can you remember what it was like? I can remember a lot of bad memories, to be quite honest with you. So, Paul's saying, jar your memory. Remember what it was like when you were out and not in. And then he goes on and he gives this list of negative aspects that it's like for people who are on the outside. And not on the inside. Look at verse 11, the back half. He says, You were called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. In other words, the Jewish people who had a covenant with God, they made a clear distinction and they said, You're not part of the covenant. You're on the outside. You're not circumcised. It was almost racist, right? They were not part of the in crowd with God. In other words, you were known by those who served God as someone who didn't serve God. And it was clear that you didn't. Verse 12, and it goes on and says, remember that you at that time were separated from Christ. Say separated. Separated. Living separate. Not sharing. Not experiencing the life and the relationship with Jesus. Can you remember how one time we were separated? And then he says in verse 12 continued, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. That word alienated literally means to be on the outside looking in on what belonged to others. So, like, you're on the outside. You're looking in, but you're alienated from what belonged to the Jewish covenant people of God. At one time, you were that person. You didn't have access to it. You were on the outside looking in. And then he says, the commonwealth. The commonwealth is a political word in the Greek, and it's a reference to the common rights of a citizen. They're saying, at one time, you didn't have access to the common rights of the Jewish covenant people of God. You were on the outside looking in. Verse 12 continues, and strangers to the covenants of promise. They didn't have any familiarity with the covenant promises that God made in the Old Testament, all pointing to Jesus, all of them containing pictures and prophetic uh, uh, nuances that pointed to the ultimate promise of Jesus. He's saying, You were strangers to all, you had no access to them, they didn't belong to you, you couldn't even get close to them. Strangers means without knowledge of something, and without claim to that something, completely on the outside. Then he goes on and he says, you had no hope. The word hope means favorable, confident, joyful expectation. They had no hope for living with God, no hope for living in a relationship with Christ, outside, not in. And then if it can't get any worse, it does. It says, and without God in the world. Do you remember? You were without God in the world. Now, this is interesting. Without God is the Greek word atheos, A-T-H-E-O-S. That's where we get the word atheist or atheism. So it literally means that God is nowhere in the equation of your life. It literally means that you did not worship God. You were disconnected from God completely and because of that you had no hope. So Paul's writing to this church in Ephesus and he's saying you need to jar your memory. You need to remember this is where you once lived. This is what what you didn't have access to. These are the benefits that you had no privilege and no right to. And so this is going to bring us to our first point that I want to make today. Many Christians are strangers to the covenants of promise. What do I mean by that? We mean that many Christians are living on the outside even though They've been afforded and the right and the privilege to live on the inside. They're familiar with Jesus as the promise, but they haven't laid claim of all of the promises that they have access to in the person of Jesus as the promise. Amen? And it's important that we understand that because people can live their whole lives, Christians, alienated, separated from the legal rights and the privileges established by Jesus Christ for God's people to take advantage of having no real confidence that God will lead, that God will guide, that God will protect, and that God will provide in every circumstance. And the sad but very real result is that although they are legitimate children of God, joint heirs with Jesus, bona fide citizens of heaven, they will continue to struggle through this life just like every other person outside of a covenant relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And God doesn't want us to live that way. He wants us to understand our covenant relationship with him through Christ. But thank God for verse 13. Let's look at verse 13. Verse 13 says this, but now, come on, That is a radical shift that's going to take. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off, catch this, underline it, highlight it, star it, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. But now, but now you've been brought near. The word near comes from a root word, that references the inner crease of a bent arm. It literally means to be enfolded or to be engrafted into the covenant family of God. And Paul's trying to communicate that those who were once strangers, those who were once alienated without hope, without God in the world, now have been enfolded or engrafted into this unbreakable covenant and contract that entitles them to the rights and the privileges that belong to every one of God's people. Can you say amen? What made the difference? Did you catch it? They were brought near by the blood of Christ. Say blood. The blood of Christ. Now that's covenant talk. And if we don't know that, we read through this and and everywhere in these couple of verses, that's covenant talk and, and and the readers would have known that. They had that understanding. Jesus' blood covers so much more than just going to heaven. You need to understand that. Of course that's the most important thing when you leave from this life. But many people live with this ticket to heaven and they struggle while they're living day to day on earth. And God doesn't mean for us to do that. The blood of Jesus covers every aspect of your life. To say that the blood of Jesus only covers you to go to heaven would be like you telling your kids, as my child, the only thing you have right to is a roof over your head. And everything else, you have to make way. Get your own food. Buy your own clothes. Look out after yourself. Make your own way. Come on, parents. That would be bad parenting. Amen? The blood of Jesus is more than just going to heaven. Ultimately important, yes. But the blood of Jesus also impacts our everyday living here on earth. And we need to know that. Romans 8.32, it's not on the screen, but I was reminded this morning. It says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him Graciously give us all things. That's covenant. All the promises of God in Him are yes, and in Him, amen. That's about Jesus and the covenant promises that we have available through Him. Think about some of the promises that God makes to His people. Eternity in heaven. Can somebody say amen? That's a good promise, right? How about provision? how about protection, how about healing, how about direction, you know, you don't have to live like a pinball in a pinball machine, just bouncing all over the place, not knowing where you're going, not knowing who you're going to end up with, not knowing which way is up or down, God can lead you, you've got spiritual GPS, you've got his word, and you've got his spirit, And he promises to give you. The Bible is chock, chock full of promises about provision, about protection, about protection and healing and direction. How about your calling? God has a calling on your life. It's in him. And he wants you to live it out fulfilled. He wants you to live out your days that he has planned for you in a fulfilled relationship with him. How about fulfilling your purpose and your destiny? How about the children you have? and the grandchildren you have. He gives promises all throughout the scriptures. You read them. God promises. He promises. And he promises. Here's the challenge. If we're not careful, we can be like some people who would say something like, well, if it's God's will, it'll just happen. That's dangerous. There's a lot of things that God wills to happen for his people that don't happen. There's a lot of things that God doesn't will to happen for his people and they happen. Why? Because faith and our belief in the covenant of Jesus has a lot to do with it. Amen? I mean, what do you do with things that Jesus said? Jesus said things like, uh, nothing is impossible to those who believe. Did he say that? How about have faith in God? For whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes those things he says, he will have whatever he says. Those are big statements. Where does faith come in? Faith plays a part. Faith in what? What? faith in our covenant with God through Christ. And we're going to keep unpacking that. We're going to look at it. We have so much to learn about blood covenant. But today I want to end with one more passage that shows the irreversibility of the blood covenant and how it shows God's heart for us to trust him completely. And in doing so, we're going to just kind of pinpoint our last two truths about how this impacts us. Look at Hebrews chapter 6. And truth be told, I only picked out, we only picked out two verses here. But when you read the Bible, and those of you who study the Bible and read it more often, you know that you could be reading one verse. But then you realize, oh, wait a minute, that that verse is connected to the verse before it and that one's connected to the verse before it <laughs> and that one's connected to the verse and so you you end up. When you start connecting all of those verses, by the way, our Bibles written with verses. But when they wrote these letters and these books, they weren't verses. They were just one flowing thought, right? So we picked out these two verses. And as I I read them, I'm like, no, no, no. If we want to fully understand that, we got to back up a little bit, okay? So this is not going to be on the screen. If you have a Bible, I'm in Hebrews chapter 6. And I'm going to start reading in verse 9. And then we're going to kind of park and highlight just a little bit on, I think, verses 16 and 17. But starting in Hebrews 6, 9, listen, he's writing to believers. He says, but beloved, that's the new King James. We are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, listen to this. Yes, things that accompany salvation. What does that mean? Things that accompany salvation. Things that are part of your salvation. Things that are beneficial to you being saved. Things that would be pleasant. That would add to your life in Christ. Things that accompany salvation. Though we speak in this manner, listen, verse 10. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Let that be an encouragement for those of you that serve. Listen to that. God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown towards his name, in that you minister and do minister to the saints. Verse 11. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. Look at verse 12. That you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So he's encouraging us imitate those who through faith and endurance and hanging in there, they inherit, they receive, they access the promises. Look at verse 13. So powerful. For, here's an example. When God made a promise to Abraham. Abrahamic covenant. You study that out. Because God could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, this is what God said, surely blessing, I will bless you, and multiplying, I will multiply you, and so after he, Abraham, had patiently endured, he obtained the promise, can't go deep into that, but that's all in Genesis, for men indeed, he's giving a natural understanding to us now, humanly speaking, Men indeed swear by the greater. Like when you're going to testify or when the president takes his oath of office, what do they have them do? They lift their right hand or their left hand? I don't remember. I think they lift their right hand and they put their left hand in the Bible and they take an oath and they swear by the greater. Right? Men do that. They swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Not only are they promising, but they're taking an oath, they're promising on the promise. They're doubling down, right? I swear to do what I said I would do, right? And then he goes on and he says this, thus God determining to show, verse 17, I think we have that. Let me go back to the NLT, so I'm with you. Uh, It says, now, no, verse 17. Verse 17. God also bound himself with an oath. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. Okay. So God doesn't have anybody greater to swear by than himself. Human beings need a promise And they need some sort of guarantee that you're going to come through on the promise. Every single one of us enter into those covenantal agreements when you take a loan out to buy a car, or you buy a house, or you buy a bike, or you buy whatever, and you're financing it. What do they do? They make you sign document after document after document after document. Why? Because they don't trust you. That's why. And they're making sure that if you renege, there's consequences. And God knows. I want people to trust me, my covenant people. So I'm going to make a promise, and then I'm going to give an oath. I'm going to double down, and I'm going to come through with what I said I was going to do. All throughout the scripture, we see that happening starting way back in Genesis, all the way through our covenant promise with Jesus, and it's ultimately going to be fulfilled when we get to heaven. This is important for us to understand that when God speaks, when God makes a promise, He intends to keep it. He's not a reneger on His promise. He doesn't go back He wants to come through. Here's the second truth I want to get across to us. Understanding the reality of covenant creates an absolute confidence in God's promises. There's a confidence in God's promises. Let's continue. Verse 18, Hebrews 6. So God has given both his promise and his oath. His promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because, listen, it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. And that's speaking ultimately of our covenant relationship with Jesus. And Joni brought those scriptures out to us last week. By the way, if you weren't here last Sunday, get that message. I promise you'll be encouraged there's some hope available to us in the middle of all the chaos. You want to catch that? That was a good message. And that hope ultimately is Jesus. What's the point? When we understand the reality of covenant that, that's available to us in the scriptures, and we're going to unpack that week by week, it brings such a strong confidence to realize that God not only gave us a promise, but he swore in blood. He swore in blood. And when you study this out and you realize the reality of blood covenant, here's the third thing I want to point out is that confidence in God's covenant, blood covenant, it anchors our soul in times of chaos and crisis. And if there's ever been a time when our soul, our inner person needs to be anchored, it's today. It's in these times. And we have a blood covenant in Christ. You know, when I was a kid, uh, I think Pastor Jerry makes reference to this in his, in his book. How many of you used to play cowboys and Indians, guys, uh, when you were a kid? We all used to play cowboys and Indians. And then, and then I can remember at times we would kind of, um, we would kind of emulate the, the Indians and the cowboys, how they would come together and they would form blood brother covenant. Do you remember that? We would take our popsicles, the red ones, we'd eat them. And then we'd get some of that red sticky stuff on the stick. Right. And then we would, you know, pretend we slid our wrists and then we would put our wrists together and we would say something and blood brothers. Right. And we didn't fully understand that. But as kids, we knew something significant was happening when blood was shed and you mixed it together And that's what happened when Jesus shed his blood. You became a partaker of his blood, his life for you and in you. And whether you realize this or not, and we're going to find out more as we study your life to him, and you became inseparable. And if we catch a revelation, on this, it impacts our everyday living, how we look at life, how we, how we relate to God, how we relate with everybody else. Blood covenant is still practiced today in other parts of the world. People are spilling blood. Uh, part of the reason they would do that, some people would do it to, to exchange weaknesses and strengths. If I was a leader of a, of, a, of a clan and we were mighty warriors and we were undefeated in every clan that we went against. But you, you were a wimpy clan, but you did great gardening. I mean, you could sow and you could plant and you can harvest and we're feasting and famineing only when we beat somebody up who was good at gardening, we would eat, but you always had food, but you're a So we would come into covenant. Everything I possess, all of my army, all of my fighting skills, all of my warlike abilities, I give them to you. We're, we're, we're bound together forever. And then you would say, okay, all of my ability to sow seed and to plant and to harvest and take care of it and bring it in. I'm giving it to you. Oh, my life is your life. And you would come into blood covenant. And there was only one way out. Death. That's how serious God is about our blood covenant. Jesus died and he shed his blood so that the reality of our blood covenant with God can hit us deep on the inside and anger our souls, no matter how chaotic and no matter how dark things might get. Amen. Have you been blessed by the word today? James, come on. Thanks again for listening to hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.